Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This week on Into the Archives with the Boone Podcast, it's part two uh, with one of the greatest run producers I've ever seen and of our time, Albert Bell. Sometimes you just need to enjoy a classic. Join us as we go into the archives. Hey, we going back. And put our ear to the history books with this one. This is Into the Archives. Here's your host, Brett Boone. I can tell just by talking to you, I mean, I I could talk to you for days about hit because I know the type of hitter you were, and I knew you set up pitchers, and I knew you were looking for things. That's what I love about the game, the game inside the game, that cat and mouse with that catcher, that pitcher, reading body language, what's he going to throw me, eliminating pitches. And I think that's such a cool part. You touched on today's game and the strikeouts. It's almost like, and, and I'm not saying this is true, but, but it's almost like a strikeout with a runner on third and less than two. When I was playing, that was I could go with I could handle going over. But if I left that runner on third, less than two outs, then that was tough that that, that was stuff that, that kept me up at night. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I don't see that at man, that strikeout with the with with a runner on third. It's like, oh no, no big deal. Cause almost the game's accepted it. Like it's okay and it's not okay. That being said, there, there's so much talent. These young players, this Tatis kid is, man, is he good. You know, Acuna and Vladdy Jr. I mean, there's a lot of talent. The physicality is getting better and better. You mentioned the the vigorous workout. Your dad, starting with your dad, always be in shape to your Cleveland years where everybody trained. Now everybody, you know, big league, everybody, all 30 big league teams, they're all training like that. These kids are getting bigger, stronger, faster. But I think you're right. Well, You've got to bring back some of that 
there's something to be said for being a good hitter and having a good approach. We don't think home run first. No great hitter I ever thought thought home run first. They thought get a good pitch to hit and knock the crap out of it. And the home runs come for those that are home run hitters. Yeah. I, I, I remember um, there's a couple times I can remember, like, when somebody would come, like, hard, like, up and in, you know, trying to knock me off the plate. And, you know, it, it pissed me off. And I was like, oh, okay, now it's 2-0. and oh. Like, okay. And I remember swinging hard, like, hard as I could. And I filed it back. And I was like, I said, wow, I just overdid it. And I missed out on a great pitch. And I was like, okay. So I got my point across where I'm going to show the pitcher, like, okay, I'm mad. I, I mean, I swung hard. And, I, and, and the next time, strike came, boop, base hit or, you know, home run or double, and I just stayed within myself. And, and I've always heard where, you know, they talked to, like, Tony Gwynn and, and Wade Boggs, and they said, sure, you know, we can hit, you know, a lot more homers, but we're going to be sacrificing a lot to do that, you know, base hit, bad average, and all that stuff. And they said, you know, we, we don't want to do that. We want to, you know, get base hits and get on base and, uh, you know, depending on the situation, driving runs or scoring runs. And, um, and that's, you know, that's just, uh, you know, the game now is different. Like nobody wants to steal a base. Nobody hit and run. I was, I was watching the Braves game the other night. It was the bottom of the ninth. Uh, they had a runner on second and our, his name was, uh, Arcia was up. So two zero. I was like, oh, okay, let me see. He worked in county. It was against Fairbanks from Tampa Bay. It Big was 2-0. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay. I said, I already know. I watched Fairbanks pitch in, in the World Series. I was like, okay, it's going to be a strike away. So he throws a slider strike away. Arcia doesn't even flinch at it, right? So then it goes to 3-1. And then uh, Fairbanks throws a fastball, 97 up and in. It was ball four. Arcia swings out of his shoes. And I was like, this guy doesn't understand the situation. It's a runner at second. You're down by one. Your job is to get the guy over. That's it. And you might, if you do a proper job, you might be able to get a base hit out of it. So the next thing you know, um, or, or uh, Fairbanks throws like a three, two slider, like down, it was a ball and he hits a ground ball to third base. And then Swans, uh, uh, Dansby Swanson comes up next bat. He hits a weak fly ball to left field, but that would have been a sack fly had Arcia got the run over, and then the game would have been tied. And I was like, there, there's, there's the new baseball. And I was like, I, 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 I cannot be involved. I said, if I'd have been a hit instructor, I'd have been screaming out of the dugout. Like, you, bro, you got to get this guy over. And that's probably why I don't want to be back in the game because I, like, <laughs> I, I have I have a short fuse because I'm like, no, not and, you. And well, it's like it's like runner second, no outs, it's automatic. Boom, get the guy over. Boom, get yes. the guy over. Okay, it's a base hit. That's gravy. I mean, I've I've hit runner second, and I was like, okay, and they want to pitch me away. Boom, I, I hit doubles down the line, right field line. I was like okay, you know, I don't have a problem hitting the ball the other way. Boom, I hit balls in the right center gap, you know, with a run in second, no outs. But I know 
I guarantee 99 of 100 times I got that runner over, running second no outs, and, and, and then Andy would drive him in. Sandy, and hear I, that I know you. for a fact. What's that? No, and, and to hear that from a guy like you, you just, you're hitting 52 homers, and you have that attitude about playing the game right. And if Albert Bell's coming off hitting 52 homers and he's saying you play the game right, you move the runner, that's how everybody else goes, well, if Albert's doing it, he's hitting 50, then sure as hell I'm going to do it. And that's going to go down the line of that team, and that's going to create a camaraderie that you can't replace. Because that nine-hole hitter's watching Albert Bell, who's watching Viagra, who's watching Tomei, who's watching Manny do it, He's sure as hell going to do it too, and that's how you create a great team. That guy, that guy hitting behind you, Albert, with a runner on second. Let's say Eddie Murray's hitting behind you. You get that runner over. You hit a one-hop rocket to the second baseman for an out. Eddie might not have driven in a run in a week. He's in a ribby slump. All of a sudden, he hits a sack fly. All of a sudden, Eddie Murray, in his brain, says, "I can drive a run in." That just made Eddie Murray better. And I was. Yeah. I was taught that by Edgar Martinez. He was a mentor of mine, especially the second half of my career. He taught me a lot about the hit and the preparation. And that's the first thing he said to me one day. And I've told this story before on the, on the program that I watched Edgar was eight to two. And he hit a rocket, like one of those obvious ones where, you know, he was trying to get him over. He still is trying to get a hit, but he hit it. He got him. Yeah. And I said, Edgar, why'd you do that? He goes, Booney, I always found, I always find my whole life. You play the game right. In the end, you're going to be the best player you can be. And ever since that day, yeah. I started doing it. And and that 2001 team I played on, we won 116 games, and we had everybody playing that way. And it's the way right. you play the game. And and man, it's just we've we've gotten away from it. And we've got to get back. This game's too great. You know, I, I think there's a lot of great things, the technology they have today. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm envious about. But, man, they, they, they got to bring it back a little bit to playing the game the right way. It, with a runner on second, we don't rip one foul off the, off the tarp down the left field line in a 2-2 <laughs> game in the eighth. Right, yeah, yeah. Sit. I, I just say they just sit and span because they're just – I was like – how many foul balls are going to hit off? I say, no wonder they got to put the net up because they're just, they're just pegging fans in the stands with all these foul balls. I say, my goodness, <laughs> do they, do they even try to hit the ball up the middle or put the ball in play? And it's like, they, you know, they don't make adjustments, but, but there's some, there's some guy like, I like, you know, Michael Brantley, uh, you know, I like, I like Astro. his approach, you know, yep. he's, you know, very underrated hitter, and he knows how to play the game, and he knows how to execute. And he, and once again, he's having another great season. Um, he can you know, really with the Astros. Yeah, he can really hit. Yeah. Ninety sixth lighter moment here. You got to tell me. I've seen it for years. Never got a chance at. Tell me the Vina play. I still crack up when I see it because Albert just floors him, and you pick up your helmet like. All right, we done here, and you walk off the field. Well, here, and I, here, I still here. laugh about it. Tell, tell me about how that set it up for me. Okay, so earlier in the game, I, I walk. So I'm on first base, and Eddie Murray hits a ground ball. He hits a hard ground ball to second, and there was no way I could get the second, you know, to break up the double play. And so, Vina catches the ball and he comes in the line. 
And I just kind of like, you know, I wasn't expecting him. So I kind of froze and he tagged me out and, you know, ended up completing a double play. And I was like, don't do that again. I said, don't come back in this baseline again. And he's like, yeah, okay, okay, whatever. And the next at bat, I walk. Eddie Murray hits the same ground ball. And I run hard to second base and I plow right into him. And I was like, I told you not to run in the, in the line. <laughs> And, and, you know, he was like, you know, he was talking smack and I was like, Hey bro. I said, I told you, that's it. I don't need to say nothing else. I say, you don't want none of this. And so then (laughs) I come up. So then I come up and, you know, I get hit and I was like, Oh, okay. All right. So this is how we're going to play it. So then, uh, you know, Tony Pena and, you know, Julian Tavares had just come in and, and I know what Tony told him. Tony was like, okay, like, don't make it obvious. If you want to hit somebody, you know, just don't make it obvious. And he was like, okay. And I watched Julian Tavares. He reared back with this funky windup. And I was like, oh, crap. And me and Kenny Lofton started running in because we knew what he was getting ready to do. And he threw one. And I don't know. He was, I mean, Mike Matheny was up to the plate. And uh, I think he, he didn't even know where the ball went. He just threw it. I don't even think he – I think he threw it behind his head or over his head. And Mike Matheny charged him out, and we ended up getting the brawl. And, you know, that was it. And, and I remember uh, Dennis Cook coming in from the bullpen, and he runs and he jumps on the pile, and he's, he's, he's uh, swinging at somebody. And, and uh, you know, so, we, you know, we end up breaking up, and, and uh, you know, everything was restored back to normal, and that was it. Referees and I mean the umpires didn't have to do anything, you know. Um, you know they hit me, we retaliated, and you know that was it. That was that was part of the game. Eye for an eye, we police ourselves on the field. You know, I wish they'd get it yeah. back to that. Umpires taking taking the game. You know, we'd be a lot better off if you let us police ourselves. Because a but, lot of times here's it's an eye. It's an eye for an eye, and it's over with, and it's squashed. Yeah. So here's the funny thing. So I get suspended for that right so the very next week chad cruder who was playing for the white Sox, he does the same thing run the second baseman comes in line he runs over the second baseman breaks up the double play and they say he's a hero and i was like wow well okay i said okay i see how this is going to work i said i'm the villain and he does the same thing he's the hero but i you know i got suspended and um I was like, okay, that 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 screwed up, and and I I should go out the league and get my fine money back for that, because you know that's that's a that's a perfectly legal play. The the runner should not, if he wants to come in the baseline, then he's at the mercy of the base runner. The base runner has to have a right of way, correct? Correct. Okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, well, on a, on a fly ball, on the fly ball, what? you've got to let me make a defensive play on it. If I have the ball, no. And run, yeah, and run toward the line. I'm running Correct. in the baseline. And then Correct. you come in the baseline. Right. You need to, I need, I need game. to, right. I need to give you a line to run to the two second base. I need yeah. to, I need to give you an open lane once I have control of the ball. Yeah. Well, and the thing about it is, Cruder. Nobody watches. There's, there's never the highlight of the Cruder, though. 
And every time I see it, I think I that's, that's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Because Vinya, the look on his face, and I just love it. You're picking your helmet up and you're going in like, I've taken my helmet. I'm going home and don't bother with me anymore. I love it. Yeah. That's that's one of my favorite highlights. All right, you're so, off to the White yeah. Sox. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So that was 96. And at the beginning of the year, the Indians wanted to do a long-term deal. And I, I was just like, you know, hey, I don't, I don't really want to do a long-term deal, you know, to get this done before spring training. Like, I had already done a long-term deal. Where I gave up my arbitration years. Let's just focus on winning. But, in the, but before that, um, at the end of the season, me, Kenny Lofty, Carlos Barga, we go into John Hart's office and we say, John, we have 22 guys signed. We have three guys that are free agent. We talked to all three of them. They want to come back for the same amount of money. We don't, they don't, they don't want to, they don't want to pay raise. They want to come back. It was Eddie Murray, Kenny Hill, Paul Sorrento. And we said, bring us all back and we'll run away and we'll win it all. And John Hart was like, really? Like, what do you think? He said, you think, you know, I'm just writing blank checks here. I got blank checks, right? He was like, it's not your money. It's the owner's money. Like, bring us all back. Like, we guarantee you we'll win it. And he was like, no, you know, I just can't do that. So he let Kenny Hill, Sorrento walk. And then after Eddie Murray was just voted DH of the year, he, uh, he, he offered him a pay cut. He went from three million to two million, and Eddie was pissed. And Eddie wouldn't go play first base. He said, "Okay, well, if you're gonna pay me two million, I'll just DH." And we ended up picking up, I think, like Kevin Seitz and Julio Franco, and you know, they're three three great guys. And it just threw our chemistry off, and we were just we were just kind of out of whack. And even though and we we won ninety nine, I think we won ninety nine games and lost like sixty. Uh, what is that? Sixty three games. But we we didn't have we had a losing record against left handed pitching, and so everybody was running these left handed pitchers out and we couldn't beat them. And so I go up to John Hart and I was like, John Hart, you need to get us a left-handed BP pitcher because I said, you know all we're going to see in the playoffs is left-handed. He's like, oh, we'll worry about that later in the playoffs. So guess who we see game one? David Wells from the Orioles. <laughs> shoved, it right up our, shoved it right up our butt. And then we end up, I think we faced him again in like game five, shoved it right up our butt, and we, we went home. And, uh, but, but that was at the end of the year, but going at the beginning of the year, they want the Indians wanted to negotiate a long-term deal. And I said, okay, I will do it, but I will do it in private because I don't want it to get out because if something goes bad, I'm already going to look like the bad guy again. And if, you know, if it works out, then that's great. We're all happy. So it was me, my agent, Arn Tellum. It was John Hart. I think Dan O'Dowd and Dick Jacobs were in the meeting and they made an offer. And I was like, okay, like, we'll, you know, we'll think about it and, um, you know, we'll get back with you. So as we come out, as we come out of the office, there's Paul Hoynes, the beat writer. And he asked us, you know, we was like, no, we, you know, nothing happened. We're just, you know, 
we're just leaving. Like we didn't say anything. So the next day in the paper, it comes out, Bell turns down, you know, five year, 35 million. And we were like, okay. So there was only five of us in the room and two of us didn't tell. So it had to be one of the other three. And it was, you know, it was either Dick Jacobs, John Hart or Dan O'Dowd. So it comes out in the paper and then I was like, okay, I'm done. I say, negotiations are over. I said, this is what I do not want to happen. You guys made a promise. Once again, you went back on your word. And I said, I'm just playing my season out. And uh, that's what I did. And um, it was just, it was just a different feeling. I was like, you know, we worked so hard to put this team together to get to the world series and to not have the opportunity like, okay, bring the same guys back and let's do it again. We just didn't have that chance. And, um, you know, and, you know, I had a, I had a, I mean, I had a great season. I followed the, the 52 homers with 48 or 49. And, um, but it was just, you know, it was just like, it seemed like it was like a bunch of individuals out there just kind of running around for themselves. And, um, but it was fun. I mean, we won 99 games, so, you know, weren't too bad, but I mean, we could have won a lot more. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So after and that, season, yeah. so yeah, yeah, we lost that. You know, we lost the Orioles in the first round, and then I went free agency, and um, and, th- and it, this is it, where I want you to be my agent because I read your contract. Uh, you signed a five-year deal. You go to the White Sox, and, right? Uh, so, so um, you know the um, I, I met with Jerry Reinsdorf and Shula. We met in Vegas. And, you know, he says, hey, you know, I want to talk to you. I don't want to get to know you and stuff. You know, I don't want to base my decisions on what I, you know, read. He says, I want to see you face to face. And we just sat and talked about the game. And he was like, wow, okay. He's like, he's like you're pretty cool. Like, you know, you know, I'm not going to believe what I always read. And 
And uh, he's like, you know, I would love for you to be a White Sox. He said, if you wanted to. And, you know, and, and it's like, I'll reach out to Arn. And uh, they worked out a deal. And um, and I was like, Arn, I was like, I really want to go back to Cleveland. I said, see if they'll match the offer. And so Arn calls John Hart. He says, John Hart, we have an offer on the table. It's five-year, 55. Will you match it? And and John John Hart was like, "Fuck you, Arn." He said, "You don't have this." He said, "You're you're full of crap." And and then Arn was like, "No, fuck you." He says, "We're going to the White Sox tomorrow." And and John Hart was so mad. And um, so we uh, you know we took a we took a plane to Chicago, signed with the White Sox. And then when I get back, John Hart, you know, has his press conference. He's like, "Yeah, see, I told you it was it was for the money." You know, Alba was just in this for the money. And I was like, well, just like everybody else. Right? We got Why a short window, baby. <laughs> yeah. And because, you know, they, uh, you know, they wanted me to take a lot of deferred money. And I was like, no, I was like, this is my free agency. I said, I want some money up front. And, uh, you know, signed a, the, the five-year 55 and it took some money up front. But I had what was called the David Robinson Clause. It's unbelievable. It's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. That's why I wanted you to be my agent. All right, go ahead. Explain. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Arn, Arn, um, you know, because Arn's a basketball guy, you know, he had, um, you know, he had seen this clause and at the, at the end of, uh, at the end of year two, if there's three guys making more money than me, you take their salary, you average it out. And that's where my salary was supposed to go up to. So at the time, because I took deferred money, I was making ten million, and I think like Pedro, Sheffield, and I think it might have been Maddox, Maddox or Glavin. They got a they got a big pay raise, and their salary came out to like eleven point five million, and I was supposed to get a pay raise. And I I told Reinsdorf, I said I don't want a pay raise. I said take this money and re-sign Robin Ventura. I said, I, I love Robin. He's been a, you know, came up to the organization. He's a great guy, great guy to, you know, to protect me in the lineup. And, you know, I wanted, you know, we had some nice young kids. I said, you know, let's, let's, let's try to win it next year. And he was just like, he's like, wow. He's like, you know, he's asking for a lot of money. Like, I think, I think Robin ended up getting like three year 27 with the Mets. And I think Reinsdorf only offered him like three year 21. And, and so, um, you know, back then that was a, you know, that was a, that was a big difference. And so Robin ended up leaving to go, but I had a 30 day window to negotiate. And so Arn ended up working out a deal with the Orioles. He said, you, you want to go play in Baltimore? I was like, sure. And he, and he said, you know, here's the deal. I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. I said, okay, so I'll, I'll, um, I'll go to Baltimore. And, and, uh, um, and the, the thing that I miscalculated on, because we had this young kid, Maglio Ordonez, and I didn't know that if I would have known, like, because he, he ended up eating – he, after I left, he ended up in cleanup. He would have hit fifth behind me in the lineup. 
And this kid turned out to be a pretty good, pretty good stick, but I thought he was about two years away. And then I didn't want to waste another year, like get pitched around and, uh, you know, and wait another year for all these young kids to develop. But, um, you know, a couple of those kids developed the next year and, and Maglio had a pretty nice career. He signed, I think he signed a big contract and got a hundred million. Maglio could hit. He could really yeah. hit. Yeah. So you end up going to the Orioles. You sign another five years, 65. And this for me is where, cause there's not that much made of it. I mean, we know that you had the, the hip, Degeneration. I, I don't want to say it wrong. I think it's hip degeneration. But all of a sudden, in, in 99, you end up having to retire after 2000 season. I was looking at your number. You still drove in 103 runs, 2000. But I don't think anyone really in the game, it just kind of Albert disappeared. And it's like, right. You know, and how great of a hitter you were and what a, what a, you know, you were like, like I said, you were right in that niche, top three of those run producers in all the game. And all of a sudden, you kind of quietly went away. And I think a lot of people to this day wonder, how bad was it? How long was it bothering you? And obviously, to make you retire, uh, it had to be, you know, a lot worse than people knew. It, it was during it was during the 2000 season. Uh, I started having some pain. And it was like right before the All-Star break. Because I remember uh, I, I was facing, I think I was facing um, Greg Maddox. And he threw me a fastball. And I could have swore I hit it out. And I think it barely got to the warning track. And I was like, yeah, something's wrong. I was like, because I didn't have any power. And so during the uh, All-Star break, I went to go get it checked out. And there was bursitis in the, in the hip joint, which is basically, you know, arthritis and inflammation. And so I rested and, you know, everything felt good. And then I came back and started playing and then just wearing the tear, it just got worse. And then I ended up going on the disabled list. And as you know, at the time I was 15 days. So I was like rehabbing and, 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 you know, as much as I could and rest and, and then when I was ready to come back, um, I had to get approval from the from one of the team doctors. And um, so by the time that happened, I, ended up, I think I ended up coming back like the last week of the season, and I had like ninety seven RBIs, and and uh, ended up getting like six RBIs in six games, and and I knew that was pretty much I knew that was my last game. Um, I rehabbed that off season. And then when I came back, we were going to play like these inner squad games. And I, and I talked to the owner and I was like, you know, can I slowly like rehab? Because I'm not in, I'm not in baseball shape. I need to get in baseball shape. And he was like, no, I'm paying you to play the outfield. And I was like, well, if I play in the outfield now, I'm probably not going to make it. He's like, I'm paying you to play the outfield. I said, like, okay. So I go out in the outfield about two games. You know, we had like these, six in and in a squad games and my leg went from bad to worst. And I think I end up in a treatment for like a week or so. And then I was like, this isn't getting better. I had to go see a specialist and, and, uh, you know, I lost a lot of the, um, the, um, the um, ligaments that's inside the joint. 
and it was pretty much bone on bone. And, you know, I was in a lot of pain and, and that was pretty much it. And, and then I moved out to Arizona, March of 20, uh, 2001 and been here ever since. When deep your last day be through your career. Yeah. Uh, and the perception is, and you can clarify if you want, you didn't like the media. And I see that, you know, I, I doing my homework, I, I saw that you, you referenced Steve Carlton. When I was a little kid, dad, you know, dad caught Steve Carlton for all the 70s in his Philly days. And I remember Steve, he didn't talk to the media at all. And you referenced Koufax, DiMaggio. They didn't talk to the well, media they- yeah, because I know I know with Carlton they burned him a couple times and it was yeah like, he oh, wouldn't okay, speak yeah he you wouldn't know. speak at all like not hello it was just known that you don't even talk to him and you know through my career you know I've been media was kind of easy for me I didn't mind it but I also I, I still have some good buddies to this day I played with uh, Richie Sexton Adrian Beltre. Still good buddies yeah. to this day. They, they, it just wasn't for them. It's not for everybody. And well, go ahead. here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. So, um, and you know, when I was, when I signed with the White Sox and I was talking to Mr. Reinsdorf and, you know, he was kind of trying to fill me out about the media. And I said, listen, I says, I don't have a problem with the media. I'm just not going to talk like every day. Um, but, you know, can we kind of like pick and choose, you know, cause you know, we knew Scott Reifert, he was the, um, uh, the PR guy. And, you know, we just, we, we did a, a lot. Well, to me, there, there are a lot of pieces, but there probably were a few pieces, uh, 97, 98. And I, I think things work well and, you know, that really didn't get publicized, but I did give out a lot of interviews and, you know, everybody wants to know, like, what's your secret? And I was like, eh, swing at the strikes and take the balls. I was like, hey, pretty simple, you know, and, you know, if the guy made a mistake, I was going to make him pay for it, um, you know, but, um, you know, that was pretty much it. And, you know, Baltimore, Baltimore was, you know, different. Um you know, I did a, a, probably a lot less interviews in Baltimore than I did in Cleveland. So, um, and then that was it. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I, you know, I, I just, it, in preparing before the game, I did not want to alter my schedule. And, and, you know, if somebody wanted to talk about the game, I didn't want to do it before the game. And, you know, I, I remember there's a couple, I, I'm trying to remember, I think it might have been male Anton when he was at the USA Today. Like, we talked about, like, all this positive stuff I did, and then, like, he didn't even put it in the article, and it was just like a hatchet job. And I was just like, okay, well, never going to talk to you again, and, you know, and don't need to talk to the USA Today because, you know, everybody back then, they would ask me about, like, all this positive stuff I would do. I mean, nobody mentioned about the, the – uh, and I still have the scholarship program through my church in Louisiana. I give out scholarships, uh, you know, to the to the black youth that graduate high school and go off to college. Uh, I started that in 1990. And since then, there's only been one, one kid that hasn't graduated. So um, – I lost count of how many kids have graduated, but 
Um, you know, I gave out scholarships this, this past. I give them out every May. Kid, you know, black kids that want to go to college, say, okay, let's do it. And that's still going from 90 to present. Yep. That's pretty cool. And, you know, and, and education, you know, and, and I believe, you know, in, in education is power. And that's what my, my parents taught me. Uh, you know, I remember my parents were like, okay, you know, we're going to the library. You're going to, you know, we're going to read and then you're going to check out some books and come home. And, and you, you had like a little, you had like a little reading chart. And then, like, you know, you read books and then the librarian will give you, like, a little star for each one. And, and then I think if you read so many in a certain time, you get a prize. And, you know, I had all kind of fun little things at the library. And, um, you know, that was back then. It was just books at the library. But there's a lot of stuff now. But um, I, I, we spent a lot of time at the library. Yeah, and I, I can tell just by, you know, we're just kind of, for the people that don't know out there, Albert and myself played against each other for quite a few years, but this is the first time we're really talking. And it's really interesting talking to you because you were very calculated. You were very regimented. You knew what you wanted to do. You knew how you wanted to do it. And and you had a goal, and that was to get, get good pitches to hit and rip them. And you weren't going to allow yeah. anything to get in the way of that goal. And, I mean, it's I, I can't argue with it. It's a smart way to go about it. And and listening to you talk, it, it's very interesting to see, you know, kind of behind the scenes of what, what really you were thinking and get, letting people uh, get to know you a little bit. Give me the Joey Bell, Albert Bell. I don't, I don't know. What's the story behind that? That was, that was my nickname when I was growing up, you know, in, in Louisiana. And, and then, you know, and I went to treatment in 1990, you know, they suggested it was like, well, why you never use your your real name? And I just like my parents nicknamed me Joey, so that's what I go with. And they were like, you know, well, you know, if you go by already, it just signifies a change in your life. I said, this is a big change, you know, going from, um, you know, not drinking, you know, from drinking to not drinking, and you know, this is going to affect your whole future. And, you know, do you want to play baseball again? And, you know, you're going to have to, you know, give up drinking and, and, and change your way of life. And, and I did. And, um, and that was the great thing about being in Cleveland because, uh, the AA and the sobriety program started in Akron, Ohio. And, you know, I had to get a, you know, they found me a sponsor, and I would go to these meetings, and there were some guys who were with the the the, uh, the two gentlemen who founded AA at Akron, and so they would be at these meetings, and they like they knew who I was. And they'd be like, "Shut up, don't drink, go to meetings, do ninety meetings in ninety days." And I'm like, "Okay," yeah. and that and that was it. I mean, they were they were hardcore, and they were on me, and I I did ninety meetings in ninety days, and my you know sponsor, you know, he was calling, talking, and and, um, you know, sobriety was work. And, you know, the toughest part when, you know, there's a lot of people you heard along the way and you have to, like, find them and you have to make amends to them, you know, for for all the crap you put them through. And uh, so that that was tough, you know, the 12 steps. I mean, it, it took a long time to do it. And, and then once you went through it, you had to do it again. And, uh, you know, my... Uh, you know, 
growing up in the church, you know, my mom and dad, they were like, you know, you know, son, are you reading your Bible every day? You know, and, you know, I was like, yep. And, you know, that was part of the, the AA program and the, and the Christian program. And so it was, it was work. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm glad I did it. And I was able to, you know, save my career and, 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 you know, play, you know, professional baseball, a dream. Um, you know, people call me joy. They think, uh, you know, they're like getting under my skin. And I'm like, I, you know, I still have people at the church and friends in Shreveport. They still call me that. And, uh, but, you know, they've known me since I was, you know, since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, it doesn't bother me. But, uh I was just yeah. glad, I, you know, if I had to go back, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. And, and um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I just knew, obviously, I would have loved to have played longer. You know, you know, my I thought I could play till I was 40. But, um, you know, everybody's body's different. Um, you know, just some people have more games in their bodies than, than the next guy. And, and But, you know, I have no regrets. Little rapid fire. I'll give you five guys. Just give me a sentence or two. What comes to mind? Randy Johnson. The big unit. I, I, you know what? I love facing the big unit. And, you know, he was intimidating out there in the mound. Like, you know, you really, you really didn't sit comfortable in the box because, you know, he was kind of wild. But I, I did like the fact when, you know, he went to Nolan Ryan and actually, you know, became a great pitcher. And, you know, and that's part of it. That's part of the game. Well, these old timers, you know, they can help, the, you know, they help the people, uh, you know, nowadays with all this information. And, and uh, you know, I certainly like facing uh, Big Unit after he, uh, <laughs> you know, worked with Randy Johnson because he was all over the place before that. Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens, I just found out last year I had the most career. I had 92 career at-bats off of him. That was the most out of any pitcher I faced. And, you know, he was from Texas. And I'm from Louisiana. And I was like, you know, to me it was always this Louisiana-Texas battle. And I said, he's going to go out there and he's going to give it his all. And, I mean, like, he would come hard up and in. And I was like, okay, let's get it on. But, you know, I, I I think I hit a couple homers off of him when I was with Baltimore and Yankee Stadium. You know, he you know, he he threw him on the outside corner and I hit him up there in the in the right field deck. So, um, he's a gamer. Gotta give it to him, the guy. Got it went out there for a long time. Mariano Rivera. I faced Mariano Rivera, I think it was 91 or 92, when he came up as a starter. And it didn't work very well, so he ended up getting switched to the bullpen. And then I think Wetland was the closer, and then Wetland left, and I think Rivera took over after that. But I didn't have a problem facing Rivera. I saw the ball real well from Rivera. It, and it's funny because right-handers had more success off of them probably than left-handers because he killed lefties. 
I mean, like, I remember later on, and this might have been 98, and I think all the switch hitters started hitting right-handed off of him because they got tired of him busting their bats left-handed. But I, I, I remember facing him. It was late in the year, and it was 98, and he had that low ERA. And uh, and when I, when I saw his ball, I was like, wow, this thing's, like, really moving. And, but he would throw it at me, and then it would just come right over the plate, and I, I, I would have success. I got a few base hits off of him, but – uh, he was kind of like the quiet assassin. He just he'd mow you down, bush the bat. You didn't see him doing like rah rah and pointing the finger and you know pointing to the sky and all that. He just quietly mowed you down. Pedro. Wow! I ended up my last at bat. I got a base hit off of Pedro, and I finished up one for nineteen. Um, there was a couple, I think there was one time in Chicago, I hit a home run, Troy Olivier went over the fence and robbed me. But I remember I got a hit, my last at bat off Pedro, I got a base hit and he just kind of looked at me and I was like, Oh, I'm just getting started. I'm one for 19. Like I, I got a long ways to go to get to 300, but I'm gonna get there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I never faced him. I never faced him after that. But, uh, there was a lot of. You know these these pitchers these guys these guys were gamers like you know you knew like okay you know you could see it on the on the you know on the chart you're gonna face these guys and I was like okay I, bring it on let's see what they got I, I was not a, afraid to face anybody I mean there's a long list like Nolan Ryan like Brett Saberhagen like um, Deuce Gossage was up in a while but. Uh, you know, you know, I would have loved to have faced Goose like when he was his prime, when he was just rearing back, firing it in there. And you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of pitchers. Uh, you know, Mark Langston, Chuck Finley, those guys. Um, yeah. uh, I remember uh, Jeff Passero. Split figure, Seattle. Yeah, he had a nice little run. Yeah. Uh, there's a story behind that. It one, it was one time we were. It was with the White Sox. It must have been 97, and he pitched a pretty good game, and he got me out a couple times. And um, my brother just happened to be watching the game, and he came up to me during the game. He's like, did you see that? I'm like, no, what happened? He said, oh, he's like, after he after he got you out, he was like high five with everybody. I said, oh, really? Oh, okay. So the next time we, I see him next year, in Chicago, and it's like double, double homer. And I was like, is he high five? I told my brother, I said, is he high five now? I said, <laughs> I put it into that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's stories like that. You know, you know, some of those guys got me, I got them. It was, it was always a great battle. And, uh, you know, these guys were gamers. Uh, you you know you just you can go down the list. There was you know teams, you know players, and it was it was just fun to play against everybody. And um, you know the interleague started in '97. You know, so got a chance to go to some of those parks. Uh, never got out to the never got a chance to play the National League West, but I did play the National League Central and the um, National League East. You know, that was with the Orioles, that was the East, and then the White Sox, that was the Central. So, 
but but played in all the old parks, old Detroit Stadium. Um, we used to always say, when you go to Detroit, don't go straight away center field. You know, either hook or slice it. And uh, I remember, I think it was like 92 or 93, Sam Horn hit a bomb in the upper deck center field. And uh, when he came, he's like, he said, you just keep hooking and slicing. He said, I'm going with a big dog's run straight away center. <laughs> and I was like, and I say, I say, I give you bad props for that. That was a bomb. He had a bomb straight away center, upper tank. Oh, you yeah. go to center there. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Good old Detroit Stadium. You ever, uh, did you ever, you ever play in Detroit? The old I stadium? Did. I did. And it seemed like you could go, sometimes you can, it, it was shorter to go in the upper deck. Yeah. Yeah, either hook it, or hook it, or slice it. And and I remember you be in the dugout and you look out and you see like half of the outfielders because the outfield dropped off behind the infield and and the and the grass was so thick because you know you know Trammell and Whitaker were older and they had to you know they couldn't they they lost a lot of their range so they had to make the grass thick so yeah he had to do a lot of line drive hitting in Detroit to be successful because if you hit it on the ground. It was gonna. It was gonna almost stop by the time it gets to an infielder. It's funny, you you know. You mentioned Sam Horn, my grandfather. He played for thirteen years, and then he scouted for the rest of his career as a scout for the Boston Red Sox. He signed Sam Horn, and oh, all did? throughout my childhood, he'd be talking about Sam Horn, Sam Horn, this that, Sam Horn that, and uh, I, so you brought up Sam Horn, it made me laugh. It brought me back to my childhood a little bit grandpa yeah. talk about how great this sam horn was going to be albert bell what do you want to be remembered for i want to be re- remembered for being a gamer who i played every game like it was my last game obviously i enjoyed playing the game Obviously, I mean, I, you couldn't tell because I didn't have a smile on my face. But to be able to dream about playing in the big leagues and actually go out and play in the big leagues, it was, it's, it's hard to describe. It's, it's a dream come true. Um, and, you know, I, I like the fact that because of the game of baseball that's been good to me, I was able to take care of my family. And now I can sit back and I can enjoy my family. I can watch um, my girls grow up. Um, I think maybe one day I'd like to get back into the game, but probably not. But uh, to be remembered, I I didn't give away any at-bats. And and that's the thing about – I wanted all my, my teammates to know I was like I was going to show up and play hard every day, and I wasn't going to give away at bats. And I took pride in playing a great outfield, and I even considered myself a pretty good base runner. So I, you know, and the thing about the thing about the game of baseball, like when you go up against a guy like Ken Griffey Jr., like how, like everything looks so easy for him, but I know, you know, behind the scenes, like. Like he was working hard too. Like, you know, he, he just didn't just you know roll out of bed and and just do everything. Like, you know, these guys, you know, these great guys like Craig Biggio played against him. Um, 
Um, he was in my draft. I, a lot, you know, I go back and look at, you know, where those guys are. And, and most of those guys in my draft in 87, they made it to the big leagues. And Griffey and Biggio in the Hall of Fame. And I'd like to say I slotted in in number three. And even though I got drafted like number 85, 86, or 87, somewhere around there. So I, I, I took the, I took the most of an opportunity and I, I'm thankful to be able to meet some great people along the way, influence a lot of people's lives uh, in a positive way. They never reported, um, you know, because I lived in Cleveland, I lived in Chicago, I lived in Baltimore. I was able to get out in the community and just interact with people without, you know, the cameras around and without, you know, thinking that, you know, I'm only doing this for publicity or for the team, but to do it on my own. And, you know, I, I'm very proud of that and, and happy and thankful. And, um, you know, so my, my, my kids get a chance to uh, enjoy the benefits. And, um, you know, so they know as soon as they get back from Michigan, it's time to start grinding. <laughs> so they're going to be mad at me <laughs> in a couple of weeks because they know it's time to start grinding because, um, you know, soccer season starting out, but uh, I, I enjoyed every minute. I got a chance to see a bunch of family around the country and all these different cities. Like I hadn't seen probably since uh, whenever we had a family reunion, like when I was a kid. And then you go to these cities and, and, you know, your, your mom and dad, brother travel. And we, we see family we haven't seen in years and they go to the games and uh, you know, I had family and a lot of family in Seattle you know, my dad's side. Um, so they would, they would come to the games all the time and, you know, family Chicago and, 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 you know, in Compton, California. So, uh, Texas, Houston. So I had, you know, New York. So I had family everywhere around the country. And so, so baseball is, is a great sport. I just, I just hope they get it back to, to where it used to be. Cause it was fun to watch. It was fun to play. And, uh, and it was always great to, to be able to see the old timers, you know, um, you know, you see Rod Carew, uh, you know, you see like Pee Wee Reese, you know, you see all these guys, you know, Jim Rice, when we go to Boston, you know, you see all these guys that like played the game, they made sacrifices for us to have a better lifestyle and, and to have a better career. And you know, and I would see those guys and I, you know, I say, Hey, thanks. You know, thanks for what you did. Um, you know, it was, you know, they made some sacrifices and, and I don't think that, you know, the players nowadays, like, you know, know who these guys are that made sacrifices for them. I mean, you know, to make 30, $40 million and, you know, and a lot of these guys, you know, there, there's going to be a ton of guys that are going to strike out like 200 times this year. That's insane. <laughs> but uh, you know they, these guys, these these players nowadays, they need to to get in touch with these. We're, you know, now we're old school. We used to be, you know, new school, and you know some of these old old school guys. You know, you know, um, you know when your dad played. You know, your third. I think your third generation. Uh, yep. You know some of these guys who, you know, they got great stories. You know, sit down and talk. And I, I remember going to Kansas City. 
And, you know, you got a chance to talk to Buck O'Neill about the Negro Leagues and, uh, you know, the stuff he went through. And, and, and you, you know, you see some of these old-time players. It was – I mean, it was great. I, you know, I wish, you know, I had a – you know, you'd have had to walk around with like a pocket camera back then. But to take pictures, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I didn't take a lot of pictures with all these guys. I wish I would have because, you know, I'd be able to, you know – hang them up and show them to my kids and tell them the stories. You still got the stories. Albert Bell, uh, it was an honor. It was cool. And and you could probably tell you were one of my favorites. You you inspired me a lot as a kid coming up to the big and says, I want to hit like Albert Bell. And I had a couple of years where I put up Albert Bell numbers, but, but not nine or 10. But uh, I think it's really cool. You coming on the program, you, you give it, people out there listening to the Boone podcast, a, a different side, kind of behind the curtain. And I think it was people find out how smart, how calculated you were. And, and you just wanted to, you just wanted to hit you just wanted to hurt pitchers. And I love that. I think all hitters, yeah. do. but you did it at a high level for a long time. And I appreciate you doing it. And what we do here, I, I each have, and every, go ahead. What's that? No, go ahead. What's that? Well, I have one more story and, uh all right. And it was funny. It was funny because in, you know, I moved out to Arizona full time in March of 2001 and I, I knew my career was over. And, you know, so probably, I don't even know, some, at some point that month, my mom called me and she was like, are you going back to school? And I said, yes. But I said, let me just take some time off and I'll go back to school in 2002 because I left after my junior year. And the only reason why I could leave is I promised my mom and dad, I was going to go back and finish school. And so in Mar- in 2001, I think from March to the end of the year, I played like 240 rounds of golf. I was so mad at baseball. I didn't watch baseball until game seven of the World Series between the Yankees and the Diamondbacks. I finally turned the TV on and watched baseball. And, and then in the, in the spring of 2002, I enrolled at Arizona State, and I took one class, and my, my mom was like, well, you know you need four classes to graduate. And I said, yes, Mom. I said, I'm going to take one class per semester. I said, there's no reason for me to overdo it. <laughs> so, so you got, so you got I your took, degree. Yeah. So I, I took four classes and I got my degree in accounting. And, um, you know, so uh, my, my mom, my dad and my brother, they all have their master's degree and I have my undergrad degree. And I told them I, I wasn't going to, grad school. I said, this is it. I got my degree. I completed my promise. And now I'm going to settle down and get married and have kids. And they were like, okay. I want to meet your mom and dad. They sound like some pretty grounded, cool people, actually, with the stories you're telling about them. All right. Well, what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end is we let Dan Levy, the voice of the Boone podcast, come in for a question from the fans. Dano. Gentlemen, how are you? Good. How are you? Not too good. All right. Mr. Bell, this one comes from Jumbo in Akron, and he wants to know this. What is your best memory from your career? Wow. 
God, there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of great memories. But probably in '95, when we clinched the you know we clinched the division and we made the playoffs, and we end up we end up playing in the World Series, and that was such a a great moment for the Cleveland fans because you know some of these some of these people hadn't you know they hadn't been I think Cleveland last time in the World Series was like 48 and I remember uh, the sellout crowds and I remember the the mom and dads they would bring their kids to the game and I mean they were screaming and cheering and we gave them excitement and that was kind of like the start of a wonderful thing that happened in Cleveland. You know, they had the, the sellout records, uh, a couple more World Series appearances. But to be able to to be drafted by the Indians and to be able to take that team to the World Series and what was a uh, was something I always remember um, being drafted by the Indians and uh, you know getting a chance to you know for some of these. For some of these those people, they're like they hadn't they were around in like forty eight, so they you know they were you know that you know they were old and they were just happy to be back in the World Series and and see us play and to see us win and I mean we brought a lot of smiles and a lot of great memories uh, to a lot of people and and I just remember you could you you could walk outside. Cleveland and probably every other person had on some form of Cleveland gear at that time in the nineties. That's how, that's how popular we got. Like every other person was walking around at Indians gear. That's awesome. And last yeah. but not least, cause I'm a Chicago guy and you were Chicago. Were you into the deep dish pizza or the thin crust pizza? <laughs> Well, now that my career is over, actually, I just had <laughs> Lou Malnati's pizza the other day. And nice. I right down the street. I, I love Lou Malnati's pizza. That's some good pizza. And then for the thin crust, uh, there's a place called Grimaldi's here that has good thin crust pizza. So uh, those are probably the, the two best pizza places, Lou Malnati's and, and Grimaldi's. So, yeah, I could eat, I could eat some deep dish pizza, too. <laughs> Well, Albert Bell, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. Anytime, man. It's it's fun. It's, you know, some great memories, some great times. And, uh, uh, you know, to be able to share these experiences with, you know, fans, you know, probably hadn't, you know, heard from me in 20, 25 years. So. Well, it was all it was all a pleasure on this side. So thank you so much. We do appreciate it. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company.